Grab your Bibles, if you would, please. We're going to turn to the book of John. Before we get there and I tell you what scripture, or maybe it's already going to be up, oh, John 14 is already up there for you. Before we start reading in John chapter 14, uh, you know, as we were singing that song, To God Be the Glory, there's a picture that came to my mind that took place this past week. Actually, it was a week ago, Friday. A young man out in Arizona is playing football uh, for his high school team, and he scored a touchdown. And when he scored the touchdown, he put his finger up to the sky and praised God. This young man, as a high school football player, basically understood this. God's given him talent and skill. He scored a touchdown. It wasn't him, his, his offensive line, or anybody else. It was God that gave him that talent. He was just saying, thank you, God. Pointed up in the air, and, and the amazing thing was that the referee grabbed a flag and threw the flag and said, unsportsmanlike conduct, 15 yards. And, you know, I've heard a lot of things on the sidelines. I've heard a lot of things on the field, things that really should be flagged for unsportsmanlike conduct. But to just point and to say, thank you, God, deserves a penalty. Oh, by the way, this was the second one. So that caused ejection from the game. And it was the first time their high school team had ever got to the high school playoffs. And so he was suspended from the playoff game, which was this past Friday night. Uh, but they went and they asked, you know, they appealed it. Uh, and basically they said, you're right, that was a bad call. We're going to go ahead and let you play. So they removed the, uh, the suspension and he was able to play. But I'm amazed that today we live in a world where when we stop and say, praise God, we're going to be the minority. We're going to be the ones that people are going to look at and say, what are you doing praising God? And, and you shouldn't do that. You're taking away really just freedom from somebody else or you're, you know, stepping on the feet of somebody else and, and what they believe. And it's like, church family, praise God. We have so much to praise him for. So be bold, be strong, um, and understand that today, more than ever, we need to stand and praise God. So glad we were able to sing that this morning. I don't know if you've ever wondered this before. Is there a better way to do church than the way we've been doing it? Now, as a member of this church, you've sat here for years or months, maybe, and you're like, this is the way we always do it, right? And maybe on the side of leadership, you didn't know that sometimes we sit around thinking, I wonder if there's a better way to do this. Matter of fact, all the time I could go online and find a conference or a leadership conference of some sort or some kind of convention on how to do church better, how to be a better church leader, how to make things flow better in, your, in the ministry. Um, but is there really a better way to run a church? Well, here's what I know, okay? As a leader, here's what I know. When it comes to church leadership, keeping volunteers serving, that can be tough. Preaching truth, that's not so tough, but today where things can easily get watered down, you got to stay on top of that. Finances can always be tough in the church. Spiritual opposition, definitely a tough one. Remaining focused because, well, that church is doing that. Maybe we should do that. And sometimes in church, you sit there and think, maybe there's a better way to do church, right? Years ago, when I played basketball, uh, a little more competitive now, it's just get out there and Try not to be sore the next day, okay? But when I'd play basketball, um, and I would defend somebody, and I would guard somebody that had really good moves, okay? And I couldn't keep up with them. 
Now, I want you to think about this, if this is you, okay? What, what should I do in that moment, okay? So let's say I'm guarding Steve, okay, and Steve's got the ball, and he just has this incredible move to my right that I can't stop. Oh, stop it. <laughs> He's like, yeah, we've been there. Okay, anyway, so I'm thinking, man, I just can't stop Steve. So Steve's coming down the course and saying, hey, hey, before you drive on me, I can't stop you. So I really appreciate it if you just wouldn't go that direction anymore. That would really help me out. Can you imagine that watching a high school game or a college game and you see these two guards at the top, the key talking, and the defender saying, hey, dude, you just you blow by me every time. So if you would, just change up your style. Do something different. Why don't you go this way? I can defend you better here. Better one-on-one than maybe you got passed the ball to somebody, right? That'd be ridiculous, right? That just doesn't happen, okay? Um, and since I can't guard him, he's like, I'm just going to keep doing that. Okay. Now, here's what happens. Instead of me telling him that, it's up to me to adjust. He's not going to stop doing that. Matter of fact, if he knows I can't stop, he's going to do it more. So it's my responsibility to learn how to adjust in one way or another to keep him from going this direction. That's my, that's my responsibility. And I was thinking about this because spiritually, you know, and we could use any illustration, whether it's a sport or business or whatever it may be, Spiritually speaking, I want you to think about this. Have we figured out how to adjust to our spiritual opponent? When Satan seems to be having his way in our life, and we just keep feeling like we're defeated, like I just can't beat that temptation, or I, I just can't get past this, this thing of I feel like I'm failing all the time for God, and uh, I, I think our church is doing something wrong, or I think I'm doing something wrong. It's our responsibility to adjust spiritually to that moment. So I want you to think about this. Do we really think that taking then a stand against Satan in that spiritual moment, do you really think he's just going to step aside? You know, like if I were to go up, and I'm not going to use you as an illustration, Steve, okay? So if I'm going to go up to Satan, okay, and say, hey, um, Satan, Lucifer, no, God's defeated you, okay? But you seem to be beating me right now in this part of my life. So if you could do this, if you could just please stop doing that in my life, and instead of going this way in my life, if you could just go this way in my life, because I'm so much stronger as a Christian in this area of my life. I'm really weak as a Christian over here. So saying, if you could just go this way in my life, I can defend that better. Do you really say, think Satan's going to do that? No. He's like, I know. That's why I keep going that way. It's my responsibility then as a believer in Jesus Christ to figure that out and say, huh, just because our church has a ladies' Bible study, just because our church has a discipleship group that meets, just because our church has a great Wednesday night program for children and youth, just because our church has a desire to be the church, just because our church is filling up a bunch of incredible shoe boxes to send to kids who are going to be blessed out of their socks with new socks at Christmas, okay? Just because we're doing all that, do we really think that Satan's going to step back from True North and say, wow, True North, whew, I can't defend you, so I'm just going to get out of your way. I don't think Satan's going to do that. I think he's going to push back. And you see, that's ministry. That's living as a church family, trying to do ministry. Satan's always going to see what we're doing. He's going to say, hmm, I'm just going to have to push back a little bit harder. 
And so this morning, I was thinking about this and living for Christ, we're going to discover that it gets tough. It's either sink or swim, right, as a Christian? And in spite of the things we see around America, I just want to share with you where some things are culturally in America right now. Jim Simba, he's a pastor um, over on the East Coast, shared this. There are more empty pulpits in America than ever before. 1,200 people stop reading the Bible every day. That's a lot. 1,500 pastors leave the pulpit every month, either to spiritual decline in their own life, failure, disappointment, or just frustration. More would quit if they could find a good-paying job the next day. Five major poll takers did a survey to see how many truly born-again believers there are in America. Now, we're talking about believers in Jesus Christ who open up the Bible. They believe that God's Word is truth. It's, there's no error within it. They will get out. They will share their faith. They are very active in their Christian life. How many Christians do you think there are that fit that category in America? What percent of America do you think? Five major poll takers out there, okay? They're all doing a poll. Their numbers came up and calculated, and they all came up with very similar numbers, and this was what they found out. Only 9% of America, 9% of America are true believers of Jesus Christ. Again, shared by Pastor Jim Simbola, and I thought, man, that's pretty discouraging. To me, it feels like, wow, I hear that. I feel like we're losing now, right? And I think, well, when you don't like what you're seeing, what do you do? You call a timeout, you retreat, you take a break and you stop, right? You decide to do something different, you evaluate the situation. And we try to change the situation, so what we do, we say, we're going to try to be more successful for God. We've got to do more for Jesus Christ. We've got to, we've got to amp it up as a church. So we say, all right, God, what do you want us to do? What do you think God did, or what do you think God intends ministry to look like? I mean, what do you think if we sit there and say, all right, God, we've got to amp up our church, so we've got to make sure we're not that 9%. I mean, we are part of that 9%, but we want to see that percent grow. We want more to believe in Jesus Christ. So, God, what should this church do? What should we do? And we think about this because we're, we've moved into this new neighborhood with our ministry center, and we very much would love to see a year from now another building right next to it where we're worshiping, and it's like, man, we're moving forward. What are we going to do? What do we need to do? And I thought, well, how about more sermons? Because that's what we need, right? More sermons and, or more songs. Let's come up with another new worship song, even though there are new ones every day, and maybe uh, some kind of social media thing, right? Cute slogans and motivating uh, tweets on Twitter. Maybe that's what we need, right? I don't think so been praying about this a lot. I think we just need more of God's strength. I think we just need more of God's power. I just think we need more of God's spirit moving in our church. And Jesus says, I have something for you. It's like, oh, all right, there's the secret. There's a secret in here, right? Somewhere in the Bible. Uh, let's see. I'm sure there's somewhere in here Jesus said, I've got something you all need, right? Five-step program, right? Three steps to success. Start this campaign. We'll do those kind of things, most likely, yep. But what does this church really need? Before we talk about anything else that we need to do as a church, I think today it starts here with this. I think we need more of God's Spirit. 
I think we need to understand what the Holy Spirit is about, what the Holy Spirit does in our life, what the Holy Spirit can do in our life. Because I think some of us get really weirded out by the Holy Spirit, right? Let's read together John chapter 14. Let's look together starting in verse 15. John chapter 14, verse 15 says this, If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you'll see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I'm raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. Because they love me, the Father will love them. I will love them, and I will reveal myself each to them. When you first meet somebody, what's the first couple things that take place? When you, when you first meet somebody, not like today you meet people you know, you see them, okay? But when you first meet somebody, what's the first couple things you think you do? I've got a hand. Let's find out. What do we do? You introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Rex. You are? Justin. Justin. Justin, what do you do for a living? You live off your parents. <laughs> Boom. That's true. Justin, 30 years from now, if you're still doing that, they're going to boot you. Just telling you right now, okay? I love it. Nate, Tracy, I know you get nervous every time I step to your direction to let your kids talk. I kind of just say we love you and your family and your, your kids. You introduce yourself. Bingo. Right answer. Thank you very much. There's a name exchange, and then there's usually a, so what do you do for a living? What's your occupation, right? Those are typically the things that happen. There's that, well, this is who I am, and then a brief description, maybe where I grew up, who I'm related to, and, and uh, well, this is what I'm doing now. And, and uh, when we read this, Jesus is, he says, I'm going to give somebody to you when I leave. You see, I'm going to ascend into heaven, and I'm sending somebody else. Who? Who introduced me? Introduce me to him, please. Who is this? I want to know. It's the Holy Spirit, the advocate, he says. Well, who's the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? So we discover as we read God's Word, Holy Scriptures, the Holy Spirit is a person just as much as Jesus is a person. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, the Bible teaches that there's one eternal God who is creator, sustainer of this universe. He's the only God that exists. And within that nature of this one God, there are three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Trinity doctrine is, is based on scripture that we know is true and says concerning the nature of God, this is who he is. So as we've seen, the Holy Spirit is called God, though he is a distinct person from God the Father and God the Son. Trinity can be somewhat confusing, but we know it is true. So as a church, and as with most Christian believers, we acknowledge the existence 
and the position of the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. But, but the average Christian is in a fog when it comes to knowing what the Holy Spirit does. We sit there and we say, oh, I believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, when you get baptized, you get baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We talk about it all the time, but then it's like, so what does the Holy Spirit do? Floats around? He inspires. He inspires me. He, sometimes we're a little foggy on that one, right? Because some of us, the message of God and Jesus is so heavily taught and the work of the Holy Spirit is sort of like a faint teaching that we don't know a lot about the Holy Spirit. Or maybe we've related the work of the Holy Spirit to those really Pentecostal churches. Those are the churches that all they do is they talk about the Spirit. They don't talk about God the Father and God the Son, but boy, they talk about the Spirit. Matter of fact, they smack people on the head and they fall down and they get back up and they're all healthy again, right? I've been there. You ever been there? They start raising their hand, they start clapping, they're jumping up and down. You're like, where am I at? You ever been there? I say, I grew up in a very staunch Baptist church, okay? So, I mean, you sat there. You didn't, shh. I mean, when you leaned forward in the pew creek, everybody's like, shh. Sorry. You know, you sit there in a frozen motion because you didn't even want the pew to creak, okay? It was that kind of a church. And again, love my church. I would not be who I am today without that, okay? Let's remember that, okay? But here's the thing. When I went off to college, I had to go church shopping. Never did that before. And so as I went around these different churches trying to figure out what's going to be the right fit for me, I went to one of those Pentecostal churches, okay? And it freaked me out. It really did because I was sitting in all of a sudden everybody's like, and there's tambourines, and and then I go, woo! And a couple of people jump up and down. I'm going, I have no idea where I'm at. I feel like it's at the YMCA or something. I don't know. This is a class I missed. People are jumping. I was, I was literally, I, I heard about these churches in my church. They're like, don't ever go there. I'm serious. That's the way it was. And so I'm thinking of that, and I'm sitting there in that church. I was so uncomfortable because I'd never seen it before. And I sort of excused myself through that service. I that back, and I said, check that one off. Never go back to that church again. You know what I discovered, though? As I've gotten older and I've maybe visited more churches like that, it's like, man, some of those people are really connected to God. It's just different. Everybody has a different flavor of ice cream they like, right? And different styles of breakfast food they like, right? Well, then that, your favorite food or style is different than my, You know what? The thing is, we all like to eat. Even though it might be something a little different. So I stopped judging those that went to those kind of churches. It's like, maybe I need to learn a little bit more about the Spirit of God. Jesus Christ clearly taught about the Holy Spirit. And we have to realize that knowledge and dependence upon the Holy Spirit are necessary for doing greater things in the kingdom of God. Without the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, we are nothing. We cannot do it. What we need to know is that the Holy Spirit is a real person not just some kind of mysterious power or force, right? Because I want you to think about this, because a lot of times we're like, what is it, you know? Not sure what the Holy Spirit is. Some people relate it to, like, Star Wars. Like, may the force be with you, right? It's like, may God's Spirit be with you. Like, it's something we can conjure up. The Holy Spirit is a real person. If he were a force then we would mistake our thoughts with how can I get more of the Holy Spirit? If I can have more power, more force, more of the Holy Spirit. If we think of the Holy Spirit as a person, then our thought would be how can the Holy Spirit have more of me? 
You see the difference? When we see the Holy Spirit as that force or power, we can easily believe that if we receive the Holy Spirit, then we can contain a power that makes us pretty prideful in how we believe about ourselves. Man, I'm full of the Holy Spirit, which probably makes me a little bit more spiritual than you. That can be dangerous. As if I'm full of power, right? But if we grasp the truth of the Holy Spirit being a divine person full of glory and holiness who's taken up residency in our lives, it should humble us. It should drop us to our knees realizing that God's Spirit resides in me. It is not a force. It is a person. It is nothing that makes me more holier than you because if you are believing what I'm believing, guess what? It's God's Spirit similar that's living within us. So to explain and speak of the Holy Spirit as a person is truth, but it's also attempting to put into words something that's actually larger than words. To fully explain blows me away. Jesus said, and let's read this again, John chapter 14. Let's look at verse 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. Look at verse 17. He, not it, he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him, doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. I just again want to point out, this is not a thing that is being given. It is a divine personality that is being sent. And in this particular scripture, understand there are numerous scriptures that identify with the person of the Holy Spirit but in this particular scripture, I want you to hear this because the next three weeks, we're going to talk about how God's spirit is right alongside us every step of the way. And when we realize that God's Holy Spirit is with us every step of the way, it makes a difference in how we relate to one another. There's going to be a lot of one another's over the next couple of weeks. With the holidays coming and dealing with family issues and all the kind of stuff that can maybe take place at your home, we need help in forgiving one another and loving one another and serving one another right? And being kind to one another. So the next three weeks are going to deal a lot with relationships, how we do all that as a family with one another, but how we do that with the Holy Spirit. So we're going to do a little word study here this morning, define and determine the personhood of the Holy and the work of the Holy Spirit. But first we need to do is when you look at this scripture, there's a couple words in there I want you to see. You need to know, first of all, there are two different words for another. So when you're looking at this, and you read in verse 16, I will ask the Father, he will give you another advocate. Let me hear you say another. There's actually two words in the Greek New Testament for another. One is alos, okay, A-L-L-O-S. The word we have here is that word, and it means another, means just like the original, okay? The second word is heteros, which means totally different, so, as for instance, let me, if we had two different Greek words, if I were to say the first one, hey, I would like another piece of pie. I'm saying I want the same kind. I want the peanut butter pie again. The first one was delicious. Give me a second one, same kind, same flavor. If I'm using that second Greek word, heteros, I'm saying, hey, I would like another dessert. Okay? I want something. I had a cupcake the last time. I would like a piece of pie this time or ice cream. I want another dessert, but I want it to be a different kind. Does that make sense? You follow me on this? So as we're reading this text, 
And we understand these two words and their two meanings. When we see it here in the English text, Jesus is speaking of sending the disciples another advocate, another counselor. He's referring to somebody who's going to be like himself. Jesus says, I'm going to send you another counselor, meaning another one who's exactly like me. Exactly like me. That's part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying, I'm sending the Holy Spirit just like me. Jesus is the first counselor, sent another just like him, another divine being living with them and in them. Now, the Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity, divine being, personality, is in you. That matters. Okay? It's not a force or power you achieve. It's not like a level on a video game for all you gamers out there. Oh, if I get that next level, I get five stars. If I get that next level, I get to power up. When I get to power up, then I get this achievement. Sometimes we think that's the way it works in Christianity. Well, if I do this, then I've got there, and then I get the Holy Spirit, and then I get... It's not like that. He's the Holy Spirit. He's part of creation, the one who gives authority to God's Word. So what does the Holy Spirit do? We start asking those kind of questions then. Okay, so this is the Holy Spirit, a divine being. He's a person of the Trinity. He's residing in me. What is he doing? Some would say the Holy Spirit is active for the greatest part in our lives, doing what we call sanctification. Sanctification is the growth process of a Christian as we are growing along. We say the Holy Spirit is very active in that. Some say, well, the Holy Spirit is also involved in inspiration of the Bible. As you look through Scripture and you'll say, as God's Spirit spoke and as God's Spirit said, we see that God's Holy Spirit was involved in inspiration of the Bible. We also know as we read through Scripture that God's Holy Spirit gives specific gifts to the church. You've been given a gift by God's Spirit to use for His glory. These things are true, but there's more. So let's read the Scripture again. Turn your page over to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, starting in verse 13. It says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he's heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father's mind. That's why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. The role of the Holy Spirit is primarily here to glorify Jesus Christ. He does other things, as I've mentioned, and so much more which we can learn about. But with all, one of the greatest purpose of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus Christ. He does this by teaching us about Jesus Christ in the Scriptures, as Christ just said himself. The Holy Spirit always points us to Christ, not ourselves. So when you see somebody saying, God's gifted me with this gift, and oh, look what I'm doing for him. Who just got glorified there? Look at what I'm doing for him. This isn't about you. Look how God is glorified. The Holy Spirit always points us to Christ, not ourselves. The Holy Spirit draws men and women to Christ as well. The Holy Spirit glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ by reproducing himself in all believers. In John, we, we read this, I will ask the Father, he'll give you another advocate, right? He will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world can't receive him because it isn't looking for him. It doesn't recognize him. 
but you know him because he lives with you now and will later be in you. We have that word advocate. Now, we just define the word another, right? Now, look at the next word, advocate. In some of your translations, you may have counselor or comforter, depending on how it's translated. So let's break this down. In English, we have the word comforter, okay? Now, it's a picture of somebody who consoles us, right? You've probably seen the new movie coming out, Peanuts, right? Charlie Brown, Snoopy, Linus. And what does Linus always carry with him? A what? Blanket. That's his comfort. That's his comfort. So when we look at the thing of the word comfort, picture Linus and his blanket, right? It consoles him. It's a soft blanket. It's comfortable. It comes to mind, right? But that's not what that word in the Bible means, okay? In Latin, this word is broken into two, two parts. The first word is come, a preposi preposition meaning with. The second part of the word is fortis, from which we get our English word fortitude, Fortification, fortify, fortress, it means what? Strong or strengthen. So when you put those two words together for comforter, you have a new meaning. Watch this. One who stands with you to strengthen you, to make you strong. Not to hold on to a blanket. No, it's the wrong picture. It's somebody who comes with you and makes you strong. One commentator said this, it's like a ramrod shoved down your backbone to make you stand for truth, to make you take the right side, even though it's in the minority side. See, that's what the Holy Spirit did with Peter. Do you remember when Jesus was arrested? He was put on trial. Peter's out in the garden, and that little girl comes up and says, don't you, don't you know Jesus? Aren't you one of his disciples? Peter's like, no, 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 I don't, I don't know him, right? She asked a second time, no, no, I don't know him. Three times he was asked if he knew Jesus, and every time he denied Jesus. After Jesus rose from the dead, talked to his disciples, ascended into heaven, he sent another comforter to his disciples. And on the day of Pentecost, as the disciples were in that room, and God's spirit fell upon them. Peter, is like that ramrod shoved down his spine, stood tall, and to thousands of people proclaimed with boldness and courage who Jesus Christ was. Did not do that earlier. Now with God's spirit, another comforter in him, he stood strong. But let's not just stop with that Latin word. The Greek word in this text is parakaletos. Parakaletis. Now, the first two syllables, para, are the Greek, which means alongside. And with it, we have our English words paradox and parallel. Okay. The second two syllables, kletis, means in the Greek word for church, means the ones who are called out. Now, when you put those together, it's one who comes alongside as a person's helper. One more thing, Latin Vulgate, the word is translated advocatus, which gives us our word advocate. Ad, again, meaning alongside. Vocatus means to call out. It's the same thing as the Greek. Similar meanings, meaning another person who comes alongside you to help you. See, it's interesting when you start looking up these words and getting the meaning of them. It's like, so when Jesus said, 
I'm going to send another counselor for you. When I ascend into heaven, you won't be alone. I'm going to send another counselor. So when you confess with your mouth and you believe in your hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, God says, I'm sending you my Holy Spirit, another counselor. So church, listen, you have another counselor, one who is just like Jesus Christ, who stands beside you to strengthen you to be bold and courageous, who is there to help you. That is the Holy Spirit. First John chapter 2, verse 1 says this, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, who is truly righteous. We mess up. We sin. And our sin before a holy God doesn't work out so well. So our advocate, the Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, too, stands beside us, between us and God, and says, I know that Rex has sinned, okay? But I stand beside him today to proclaim him holy because of my shed blood and his belief in me so we can be made presentable before God. Are you following me on this? It's amazing what the Holy Spirit is doing. John chapter 14, verse 26, if you turn there with me, please. John chapter 14, verse 26. What else does the Holy Spirit do? Okay, we've introduced ourselves to the Holy Spirit. He's our comforter. He's our advocate. He's our paracletus. But what else does he do? Look at chapter 14, verse 26. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I've told you. You know what the Holy Spirit does? He gives us understanding of Scripture when it doesn't make sense. See, I think a lot of us sometimes are so fearful. I don't know if I open up the Bible, I don't know if I'm going to be able to teach it or read it. You can. Because you have an advocate who stands with you and helps you understand this. And he also is probably prompting you, says, you didn't quite get that? Go ask somebody who could maybe explain a little bit better. He gives understanding. When the Spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but it will let you tell you what you've heard. He will tell you about the future. Jesus said that in John chapter 16, verse 13. John chapter 15. When you're discouraged, you're unsure of what's going to happen. Let me read to you from John chapter 15. Actually, turn there with me, please. John chapter 15. Look at verse 18. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. This is Jesus talking. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than a master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they're going to persecute you. And if you had listened to me, they would have listened to you. They would do all this to you because of me, for they rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I had done, hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they've seen everything I did 
yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what's written in the scriptures. They hated me without cause. Look at verse 26. But I will send you who? The advocate, the spirit of truth, who will come to you from the Father, will testify all about me. You must also testify about me because you've been with me from the beginning of my ministry. When we are hated for being Christians, when we are flagged for misconduct because we praise God, it's okay because our advocate is there with us. It says, the world hates you because it hated Jesus first. That's okay. And he gives us strength to stand. He comes alongside us. The amazing thing then, as I've already alluded to, is in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, right before he left, he said this. Once he was eating with them, he commanded, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. Let me hear you say, I have a gift. Here it comes. He gave him a gift. What was it? John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking, Lord, is the time come for you to free Israel and restore a kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They're not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witness telling the people everywhere, Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up in the cloud. He ascended into heaven. And from that point in time on, as believers in Jesus Christ, when we proclaim his name and believe and place our faith in him, he sends us his advocate. He sends us another counselor, just like him. So let me go back to my first question we started out here. Is there a better way to do this, church? Is there a better program that can really unite us as a church and move forward and, and may have a great ministry in doing this and doing that? And Maybe is there a better way to be a Christian? Let me say something. You know, today's entertainment, music, social media, that's all good for sharing the gospel. Listen very carefully. I am not anti-mega church, okay? I'm not against podcasting and large Christian concerts and all that. All that stuff is good. It really is good. But I believe we're missing the most powerful tool, the most incredible change agent in our lives, and that is God's Holy Spirit. Maybe we need less programming and more of God's Spirit. I don't know. I'm not sure on the balance, but I'll say this. We need more of God's Spirit. I need God's Spirit minute by minute. I can be tempted to be negative. I can be tempted when I see things on TV. I can be tempted to be full of pride. I can be tempted to think less of myself. I'm not good enough because I wasn't as good as that person over there. I can be tempted to think bad thoughts of others and judge people. I need God's spirit minute by minute. I need another advocate, a counselor, a paracletus that comes beside me and says, Rex, I'm right here with you to strengthen you, to encourage you, to help you go forward in reaching people for eternity. We have an incredible neighborhood right next to the ministry center. And I look at that and I say, you know what? What do we can do to go reach them? You know what we need to go do to reach them? We need to make sure God's spirit is with us as we reach them. Oh, not just them. The people we work with, our families. Holy Spirit, come alongside us. That's what we need. The next few weeks, I said, we're going to talk about Holy Spirit living, the paracletus living 
How do we live the Holy Spirit alongside us? How he stands with us so that we can stand with each other. We'll go more at it in understanding this. But for now, as I'm going to the worship team to come up here, I'm just going to, before you stand, I just sit where you're at right now, and we're just going to, we're just going to pray. So why don't you go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. And let's just pray. I know for me personally, I was just convicted of a lot of times trying to do ministry on my own. Thinking this is how it needs to be done. Maybe I need to go read this and learn this. And, uh, and when things didn't go right, I blamed myself. Thinking that I'm the one who's supposed to help lead running ministry in the church. I'm a leader, right? And, but sometimes I have to step back and realize that I don't need more ideas. I need more of God's Holy Spirit. Personally in my life, with temptation, personally with helping me live in a way that's more bold for Christ and helping me love others, I need more of God's Spirit. But I need more of God's Spirit and where we go as a church, too. We cannot impact this world for Jesus Christ if we are not allowing God's Spirit to work through us. Heavenly Father, you are an awesome God. And God, we need more of and an awareness and understanding of how your spirit is right here residing with us. You have given us yourself, and that's amazing. You are our advocate. You stand beside us and help us. You're our defender. You stand beside us and give us strength. And God, as I picture you standing beside me, the amazing thing is you're actually in me. And I think of the songs I hear on the radio sometimes, like the same power. I think of songs like that, and it's like, it's so true. God, it's your spirit that resides in us, that changes us, that convicts us of the sin in our life, that causes us to confess. It's your spirit that gives us the courage and the strength to share your love with others. God, help us be more aware of your spirit. Help us not to be afraid of it. Help us not to get freaked out thinking, oh boy, we're gonna become like one of those churches. We wanna become the church acutely aware of what your spirit is doing in our life not denying God may you work through us right now as we're praying if we need to confess something let us confess it to you maybe there's somebody here this morning that's never confessed with their mouth or believed in their heart that you're Lord so right now where they're sitting God this is a great time just to confess that you are the Lord of all to surrender our lives to you. God, maybe there's somebody in here this morning that says, well, I, I can't teach, I can't lead because I don't know the word. And God, help us to remember it's your spirit that resides in us that helps us understand. 
we've allowed fear to keep us from serving in one way or another. Lord, let your spirit lead us in ways that we need to go in serving and loving and being the church to others. God, we thank you for this time we've been in your word. God, we want to sing to you now because we love you. Love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?